Today, we are joined by Erickson Immigration Managing Attorneys Jeffrey Quillett and Andy Finkel. In this episode, the current state surrounding the possible elimination of the H-4 EAD program is discussed. This program allows for certain H-4 dependent spouses to be able to work lawfully while in America. Within the last year, the current administration has established their intention in revoking this program on the basis of preserving American jobs for American citizens. As uncertainty on its survival continues, Jeff and Andy provide a clearer outlook on where the program stands today and venture upon possible recourse of action that can be taken if its status is threatened. Come join us Beyond Borders. When I read the, the litigation history of this, it, it's just like it, it's bizarre because I've never seen it's like seven requests for abeyance and all these different motions to request. It's just, it's this bizarre situation that we found ourselves in where this, like this great tool is being litigated by two parties who don't like the tool. Well, it began under the last administration, right? So it began under the Obama administration, who obviously was much more invested and had an interest in defending the H4 EAD program. I mean, they essentially created it for all, it wasn't around until about two years ago when it was actually, you know, um, rolled out. And since then, you know, the Trump administration has consistently said they the plan is to eliminate the program. Um, and so now we're kind of reading the tea leaves and the litigation. It is interesting to watch because they don't really want it to go anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, they keep saying they're going to be putting in a rulemaking process or releasing a rule here soon. But where does that stand? Because I, th- I mean, we were even thinking maybe earlier this week and hopefully we don't go back to our desk and see anything, but or even check our you know phones during this conversation. Oh, you're right. This is definitely this has Friday evening news dump all over <laughs> it. Now that you say that, I really uh, I hadn't thought about that. So it's in final clearance with with the proper authorities before they release it to the public for comment and uh, the official notice period. And what I don't know, and I don't think anybody else knows, is if they'll go with the 30-day period, 60 days, 90 days. Um, one thing is, uh, you know, who knows how much they'll take the comments seriously. Right. Um, because they don't really have to. And it, I was really glad to see some of the letters uh, from on industry uh, that have been coming in throughout, but also from the representatives, both sides of the aisle. Yeah. There's a list of uh, a bipartisan move of at least 100. I want to say it was 130 members to to say keep this program. And it's not just it's not just Silicon Valley. It's not just New York. It's right. not just the major metropolitan right. centers. It's people who recognize that just because your spouse was lucky enough to get picked in the cap, it doesn't mean you should be barred from working. Well, and these are people, too, who have been, you know, for either here for maybe a decade or more, even in some cases, and have never had the opportunity to work. And so maybe they've been taking classes or maybe they've, you know, in the yeah. they've gotten a master's degree. It was interesting. I don't remember exactly where in kind of the ongoing litigation it was raised, but, you know, it's, it was an interesting call out because the justification for eliminating the program, which is theoretically to, you know, protect American jobs, is just so undocumented. And that's maybe the poor, poor word to use, but it's not something that is, you know, there's no... There's no there there. There's no economic analysis or data to really show, you know, the impact here. Um, And so it's really amounts to, you know, essentially shooting ourselves in the foot as a country and and as as an economy. That is really frustrating. I would like to hear an academic argument. If that's the argument, it's taking away U.S. jobs. How many U.S. jobs is it taking away? 
because I can point to off the top of my head at least 30 U.S. jobs from the people anecdotally I've worked with who've created their own companies who have hired people to work who may not have had those jobs otherwise. Well, and that's the sad thing, too, is because a lot of times those are harder to quantify 10 years down the line, right? I mean, yeah, you can't. For sure. You can say X number received an EAD or X number are now working. But then it's hard to say, you know, well, maybe this person not working would have created a job that would have created five more jobs that would have done X, Y, Z. I mean, they may try to do that analysis with the EB-5 program in some ways, oh, but yeah. uh, it's not really, you know, kind of apples to apples. Where does litigation stand at this point? So my understanding, I, I have not followed it as closely as I should, but my understanding is everything is being held until this new rule comes out. There was a series of uh, requests for it to be held in abeyance. And there was a motion, my understanding, the most recent motion was from the plaintiffs, Save Jobs, to force the oral arguments. And the court basically said, government, you now have to respond. DHS, you've got to respond. Address this matter in some, in some meaningful way. And that hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. <laughs> so uh, it's it's coming. Um, uh, you know, I've seen estimates. I, I was on the firm belief it was coming this week. And, you know, again, it's Friday. It may still come. But we'll probably see it in July. Maybe, you know, they hopefully aren't so cruel as to do it over the 4th of July. Um, but we could see it that weekend or maybe even August when they're supposed to be in recess. Yeah. And the hard thing is, too, I mean, even more so. You know, having been out in D.C. for long enough at this point, I mean, it's harder to figure out exactly what is going on and the people that maybe who's going to be making the final decision. There's just not a lot of, you know, there's a little bit chaotic as far as the internal policymaking process yeah. beyond just what what what's normally happening in D.C. So we I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I completely I wasn't actually expecting something this week, but I was fully prepared for, you know, a rule to come down. Um, and obviously one once anything does that's just going to be a proposal, um, if right. you know, if at all. So I would say, you know, there could still be some. The fact it hasn't come down, hopefully, you know, is a good sign that there is some still deliberation of what the rule would look like, or maybe even whether the rule should go into effect at all. So not seeing anything is obviously good news, but it's something that kind of hangs over the heads of, of people who are relying on the the EAD to work, or you know, their employers or their family members. So from uh, just if you read your own tea leaves here, what do you what do you think it'll look like? What do you think we'll get something like what they did with DACA? Do you think you know, they'll just pull the plug entirely? I think pulling the plug entirely would be very difficult, um, as opposed to kind of turning off the faucet um, and kind of letting people maybe be unable to extend their EADs. I think the DACA example is a good one, um, and obviously we've all been pay we paid close attention to that. But if, if you weren't watching, you know, DACA, when the administration initially announced they were eliminating the program, it wasn't something where individuals who had EADs under DACA were automatically unable to stop working immediately. There was, they were essentially going to be unable to reapply or extend after a certain date. So people were essentially grandfathered out. And then, yeah. you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't kind of a light, you know, flip of the switch. And I would expect something like that here, um, just as a kind of a practical matter actually enforcing the elimination of all these EADs at one time, that's that would be very difficult practically. Um, and just, you know, based on what they've done before, it kind of seems most in line uh, with how they, they treated DACA. So, well, the th one of the things with DACA is it was missing, it really did require a legislative action. Like Congress, Congress needs to address the over overarching crushing impact 
of living without status has on millions of people who are here in the U.S. Like there does need to be something. DACA, I feel like it's just been used. These poor kids and families are just being used as pawns yeah. in this larger game of, well, what do we want to do with however many million, 15, 20, 10, however many millions of people you attribute to, to being here without status. And the other thing with DACA, too, is as soon as the administration came out, right, and they released a proposal, obviously it would take, and you may want to, if you want to talk about this in a second, you know, the timeline after any proposals released, what that looks like. But even once it went into place, immediately, even beforehand, you know, lawsuits were filed, litigation arose. Yeah. So there's already litigation on this very issue, but no matter what happens with the administration and what, if any, rule they do propose, inevitably that's going to happen as well. Um, so yeah. litigation is certainly going to be coming to the fore. We've seen that, you know, since I think the first week of this this presidency where there was the travel um, ban, the travel. Yeah, the, the travel ban um, 1.0, which is, I think is still still kind of battling around or, you know, various iterations are. But, you know, I'd ex- no matter what, I think it's going to be a long, a long road forward. One challenge I'd love to see uh, with this when when it does come to litigation if there's some sort of a gender discrimination element to this, because more than 90% of the H4EAD holders are women. And I know it's a bit of a stretch, uh, but I'd be really interested to hear what civil rights and other attorneys who practice in this space are able to, to identify if there is some sort of a class action or some other sort of a colorable cause of action on gender grounds because there's such a sharp distinction between the number of women who hold this H4EAD versus the number of men. I, have, I, I couldn't even begin to do that constitutional analysis um, maybe 10 years ago, but certainly not today. I just, in, in looking at the numbers, I just thought like, how, how is this not gender discrimination? If nine out of the 10 people are going to, are women and all those people are gonna lose work authorization, that to me is, is at least a dog whistle. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at EIGlaw.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIGlaw to join in the conversation. Thank you for listening. See you next time.